we do need some kind of change or revolution in education so that critical thinking is encouraged and facilitated instead of just trusting authority. Because that really, there's a time and a place for trusting authority. I'm not saying that people become crazy, paranoid lunatics and don't trust anybody ever. That's not productive either. But there does seem to be an inclination in society to, as much as possible, trust authority. And I don't think people realize what exactly is going on when that happens, because there is such a thing as a healthy sense of skepticism. There's a reason we are able to be skeptical. It prevents us from making bad decisions. It prevents us from pro- possibly making life-threatening decisions. Und er hat halt nachts gezockt. Was noch gruseliger ist. Don't follow Ja. Und Tag ist nicht so schlimm. Aber nachts. Und, und, wenn, und wenn schon seine Freunde oder so nicht dabei sind, zum Beispiel. Dann scheißt man sich ein. And there is a difference between, there's a difference in the conversation between when you're recording and you're not. There's so many times where I was talking with a guest and I'm thinking, man, I wish I had recorded this conversation. Exactly. It's almost always more uh, honest and I love that part of my guests, like, Especially after the recording, when there's already like this bonding happened and everything. And then they're like, okay, dude, now yep. <laughs> I'm going to share everything. I love right. that. Yeah, true, true, true. And I need to say, I learned a lot from your podcast because the quality is just perfect. So Wow, thank you. I love that. I see you put a lot of work in it, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely a lot of work. There's still much more I could do. It's always... Uh, It's a big project for sure, but at least it's an enjoyable one. Yeah, same here, for sure. Nice. So let's begin. (laughs) Mike Vera, I'm super happy that you're here with me. Uh, I'm a fan of yours, and I can say I'm a fan of almost everyone that ever visited me on my podcast, especially after they've been on my podcast. Before, sometimes it's like, I don't know that person, but that is not the case for you because I've been listening to your podcast. I've been reading your posts and I've been researching a lot. And what I want to say about you, and you will have the chance to introduce yourself way better than I will do this now. uh, You have something that I love. It's you are super honest, you are straightforward and you don't give a shit about any kind of, of rules. Like, I love that you are just telling your truth. And I think it is very important truth. And, um, I think I started to follow you when I saw something about decentralized health or something like that. And I was like, okay, this is my dude. <laughs> I, need, <laughs> I need his content. I love it because I think decentralization is is key in this world. And so happy that you're here with me. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for the kind words. And I believe you're referring to the episode I did with Dr. Jack Cruz. And uh, it, I'm not sure how much you know about Dr. Cruz, but he's been in the health and wellness space for a long time. And I wasn't expecting him to go so deep into decentralized health and medicine. And I was glad that he did. And it's totally shifted the way I think about health. So hopefully we can do some of that here today where maybe I can help shift some thinking in some of your audience a little bit. That's perfect. Nice. Thank you so much. Yeah. um, First of all, 
I would love to know everything about you because you're a podcast and you share a lot of valuable insights on social media. What happened? Because uh, normally I have like unschooling parents here on my show, but in this case, it's like, okay, you have so many valuable thoughts and insights. Okay. I need you to talk to you. So normally the parents tell me like, yeah, okay, we tried school and we felt like it's not the right thing. Then we researched and then we came to the conclusion, okay, it is bullshit. Let's not do it. And then they fall deeper into that rabbit hole. And then it's not uh, always like leading to, okay, we need to be all in in Bitcoin or we need to do this and that. But I see in a lot of unschooling parents that they break up with the state, they break up with propaganda and they break up with all of this stupid shit. They are Uh, that's constantly in their face. And I see the same for you. What happened? What was the moment that you thought, okay, no, I'm I'm just not going to do that anymore. And there is another truth and I want to explore that and I want to share it. That's easy. Uh, for me, it was at 13 years old. I downloaded George Carlin on Napster. George Carlin is a famous stand-up comedian And he told me to question everything I read, challenge authority, be skeptical of what I am told. And that's not exactly something I heard before as a kid. And I really feel like that's when my consciousness really turned on. Because at that point, I was just kind of coasting through life as a kid, just you know, taking everything in without really thinking about it very much. And then I heard him say all of these things very aggressively while also making people laugh in the process. And there's something about that experience that just really stuck with me every single day in everything I did. And as a kid, I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. I thought, okay, that's, you know, let me just make people laugh. And over time, as that desire and dream evolved, I realized You know, I, I still like the idea of being a stand-up comedian and getting to spread joy by making people laugh. But I think what really attracted me to what George Carlin was saying was the fact that he was waking people up and that he was having a good time doing it. And so I feel like I'm doing at least part of that now, and I hope to continue to do that on a wider scale. I really like that. And I have maybe a similar situation because I... When I started really, um, I don't know, having a look into a comedy stand-up from somewhere else than Germany, because Germany is so fucking boring, and I just wanted to laugh. <laughs> and it was like, okay, I need to laugh. Everyone needs that. So why is it so hard for German people to be funny? So uh, I've uh, discovered Bill Burr, and what I loved about him, that he was like, please don't make any more stand-in-the-way people. Like this NPC people. I like to call them Hufflepuff people. And I was like, yes, I love that. <laughs> I love the honesty. <laughs> And he's right. Yeah. Stop making these people. Just stop it. And <laughs> this was my entry in, in like seeing the world different. Because since, I mean, up to that point, I was like very normal, I would say. And of course, I always had this thought like, okay, can I just skip school? Can I just do that? And What if I don't pay taxes at all? And then I felt like, no, no, no. If he can say it, I'm definitely in and I'm going to repeat it and I'm going to find my way. So I think that, uh, um, yeah, laughing and making people laugh is a good thing because happiness and emotions, that is so important and combined with wisdom, knowledge and these kind of things. I think it's a perfect combination of really reaching people, really touching them. 
there's definitely something magic about stand-up comedy because comedians are unique in that their job is to spend most of their time observing things that other people don't. You know, they look into the things that other people just take for granted or don't even bother to think about. And not only that, the audience that's there to watch the stand-up comedian, the audience knows that they're there to laugh. So it's a really hard thing to do to make people laugh. Like imagine going up to somebody and say, hey, I'm going to make you laugh. Immediately, they're less likely to laugh. So it's it's a big obstacle that they have to overcome. And somehow they can still use their language in a way to mislead the audience into thinking they're going to talk about something serious. And then at the last second, they switch it up with the punchline that makes them laugh. It's an incredible use of language. And the result of that use of language is provoking and uh, a response that was involuntary, which is crazy when you think about it. And I just always found that so cool. And to be able to make people think and laugh at the same time is, I think, a very positive effect on the world. Definitely. It's art. And you know what I like about you? You share memes. And people always hate me for sharing memes. And I'm like, dude, this is the ultimate combination of laughing and thinking. Just accept it. It's the final version of art that we will, I mean, hopefully not. But at the moment, I think it's like, this is what we need. I love memes. It's short. It's easy to understand. And it's, uh, I think for some people, it's um, maybe even easier to fall into a rabbit hole if you know it's going to be a bit funny. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. laughter puts your defenses down. And, you know, to shift this into propaganda, that's why I think... So there's an interesting thing happening in comedy that I think a lot of people notice. When you look at the late night shows, the talk show hosts, when you look at Saturday Night Live, it seems to have a lot of political propaganda in there. And I guess that's a debatable thing. People can argue with that. That's fine. Uh, but many people do observe this. And it's unfortunate because one of the, the characteristics of comedy is that it lets your defenses down. Just think, like if you're laughing, it's hard to be defensive and laughing with happiness at the same time. So it does seem like a very powerful psychological tool to use comedy in a weaponized way. And that's exactly what seems to be happening. When you take any neutral thing and you use it in a very specific way, the way they are with propaganda, well, it becomes weaponized. And that does have an impact. You know, when people are laughing with their defenses down and comedians are presenting these ideas very repetitively with the audience laughing all at the same time, it does create a type of contrived reality that may or may not be accurate. It may not be based in objective reality or truth. And I guess on the flip side of things, one of the more beautiful things about comedy is that comedians tend to stand for the truth. So you might have a few assholes who are spewing propaganda, but I think in the end, the truth wins because you have people like uh, Joe Rogan and you mentioned Bill Burr earlier when we were talking privately. And you know, they really are not afraid to say what they feel needs to be said. And so I do think comedians have a very powerful, powerful role to play in the world, especially when it comes to propaganda, because we got to fight the propagandists with 
the communication tools and tactics that you're that they are using but you know i i see us as using them for good to expose the manipulative influential agendas that they try to put forth true i love that yeah um i think why i was thinking to invite you was because i think you are doing a great job on de-schooling Because unschooling parents, before they really are able to unschool their kids, because you have to have a clean slate, they need to de-school. I think most of them are doing it. And when I was de-schooling myself, of course, it's easy to say, okay, I'm not going to buy like propaganda shit about vaccines or these kind of things. It's easy. But what is, uh, what is harder is to really go deep into programming stuff, like even routines, anything. But what I really like about you is that you share so much content that helps people to de-school. And I think unschooled kids don't even need to discover because they are already raised as truth seekers. So it's easy for them. Of course, most of them are not vaccinated. Of course, most of them are never fed up with propaganda shit day by day. So it's not hard for them. But for the parents, it is. And it's even more important that they have access to this kind of information. And I just love it, what you do. I love all this de-schooling material you are sharing. And I think you you have so many great different topics like medical stuff. I love the medical stuff you're sharing. Um, but I think you have way more. And what I consider quite important is that you are, um, that it for you it's quite clear that there is propaganda going on. And I'm always like a bit confused because if you say that in Germany, it's like, You want your passport back? I think mm, maybe you don't. Mm, maybe we just don't want you in our country anymore. So I'm always like, okay, can I say this? Yeah, but um, it is propaganda. And I love your honesty and your approach to that. What is your feedback? Because for this podcast, I was quite afraid of publishing the first couple of episodes because I was like, oh my God, what is going to happen? And this is censorship free. So People can say whatever. It's just their opinion, I guess. Um, but I need to say I had only positive feedback until now and very, very positive feedback. And there was nobody like, oh my God, that sucks. That mm. is just not true. <laughs> Nothing at all. So what is the feedback? And um, yeah, everything. I want to know everything about your work and the progress you did and everything. Well, I, I guess I have a few things to say based on, on what you just said. First, props to you for putting stuff out there despite having those hesitations, because it can be a scary thing to speak things that you know to be the truth while also realizing that we live in a world where there are some sensitive people, some easily offended people, and, you know, as good people, You and I, you know, we don't want to offend anyone. We don't want to uh, deliberately upset people. But at the same time, I don't think we have an obligation to nerf the world to cater to the hypersensitive people in society who can't handle objective realities. And so it's a delicate process sometimes. But I think when you think of the net positive overall, you have a duty and an obligation to speak the truth, especially when you see censorship efforts trying to suppress the truth, when you see misinformation efforts trying to confuse what the truth is. And 
when when we feel that we see the truth so strongly and so clearly, how can you not speak the truth? So props to you for putting your own opinions out there and even hosting a show where you have guests who might have opinions that you don't agree with. I think it shows your level of open-mindedness. And and that's something I think we should see more of in society because there are plenty of people out there who claim to be open-minded and celebrate diversity. And yet they're totally closed-minded to some of these ideas that we've talked about or will talk about. And they don't like diversity of ideas. You definitely see a lot of that. So I, I do think we're seeing a shift right now happening in the culture around the world where people are really reaching a critical mass of people who get it. I think there will always be people who don't get it, and that's fine. I don't think we should be mean to those people or, or hate them or, or make fun of them. I think we should have compassion for them. And, and you know, I, I think many of them are misled or they've just been so intellectually beat down by the system that even if they wanted to, they couldn't really get a firm grasp on reality. And so I've definitely changed a lot because in my younger years, I might have, might have been a little meaner. And, and you know, 21-year-old kids tend to be a little more aggressive or abrasive. And I've, I'm proud to say I've grown a lot since then. But the reason I am saying that and the reason I'm saying that I used to be like that and, and I've grown a lot is because I see a lot of people doing that uh, still where some people are mean. And whenever I post about some controversies about masks or COVID or what have you, there inevitably are a few comments like, can you believe those morons and those idiots? And you know, I don't want to censor those people. I don't want to tell them they can't say those things or have those ideas. But at the same time, I want to build a community of, of support and compassion because I, I'm trying to have a net positive effect in the world. And so it's, um, it's a balancing act for sure. And I guess the only thing I can really do if I'm not going to censor people, and I'm never going to do that, is just to lead by example and to never... Uh, be mean to people in that way. But not only that, to try to call attention to my thought process behind it. So I don't want to say like, call those people out and tell them why they're wrong. I don't think that's right either. But I think it's like, hey, you know, I get how you can feel like that. But I don't think it's very productive to call these people idiots. If anything, we should come from a place of compassion and just, you know, try to have a civil dialogue. But there was uh, something else you had said earlier about uh, propaganda and programming. And I find that some people find that word programming to be easily dismissible as if it's a conspiracy theory itself, uh, because it does conjure up images of nefarious shadowy figures, uh, programming your brain in some kind of comic book style fashion. And that's not exactly the case. So when you look at things on a neurological level, we have something called neuroplasticity, meaning that the brain adapts to its environment as, and its experiences. And it's self-programming. So whatever is in your environment, whether you set it up or whether somebody else set it up, those signals in your environment are going to program your behavior. And I mean, if you think about it, like, like look at fitness programming, right? It's called fitness programming. Why is it called that? Because you introduce a repetitive signal into the environment that causes long-term changes. You are programming yourself towards fitness. So we already accept this in, in many different areas in life, this idea of programming. 
And one of the unfortunate things that seems to happen in society is that people allow themselves to be programmed by whatever the environment happens to be. And there's a good example of this. I hear from people all the time, uh, especially women who do shopping, they go into Target and they find that I went in for two things and I came out with 10 things. What happened? Well, your environment programmed your behavior. You had your buttons pushed and your strings pulled. So you were influenced. And in a sense, we allow ourselves to be influenced all the time by not having our defenses up against these tactics that people spend millions of dollars trying to figure out exactly how to influence you in the best way possible. And then we come home and we kind of just tune out, many of us, and we fail to influence ourselves. But the reality is that the same way Target can push your buttons and influence you to buy more things, you can set your environment up and you can do things where you can influence yourself in a way that is more conducive to your own goals instead of the goals of some Target executive who just wants your money. True. And I think programming. Uh, it's it's proven it's not like uh, it's not happening and especially in school the science is there I mean they set it up in a certain way because they wanted it to be like that it's not the school system is failing it's an active programming process so I love uh, when people are falling into this unschooling rabbit hole and they're like oh my god it's not failing it's supposed to be like that Yes, dude, it is. This is what it's supposed to look like. And I think a failing uh, school system might look very different, but um, for sure, this is how programming looks like. Yeah, what is your conception of of schooling? I mean, well, there's school, a, a lot to discover, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Uh, but My experience going through school is and this is just true of the United States school system, is that it, the way it's set up is to, for the most part, outsource your thinking to authority. There is no fostering of creativity whatsoever. And in many cases, when people do think creatively or think critically, it's de-incentivized or discouraged because you're just supposed to listen to what your textbooks say and do what your teacher says. And then you find out those teachers are just responding to the authority figures above them. And so, of course, we saw, you know, the past three years with what happened with COVID, where people, instead of thinking critically about a lot of things, they found themselves just outsourcing their thinking to the closest authority figures that, for whatever reason, they trusted the most. And the patterns are the same as what comes out of the school system. So it's no surprise that that sort of thing would happen. But we do need some kind of change or revolution in education so that critical thinking is encouraged and facilitated instead of just trusting authority. Because that really, there's a time and a place for trusting authority. I'm not saying that people become crazy, paranoid lunatics and don't trust anybody ever. That's not productive either. But there does seem to be an inclination in society to as much as possible, trust authority. And I don't think people realize what exactly is going on when that happens, because there is such a thing as a healthy sense of skepticism. There's a reason we are able to be skeptical. It prevents us from making bad decisions. It prevents us from possibly making life-threatening decisions, uh, again, as we've seen these past few years. So when we 
just trust authority without putting any critical thinking into it first, it could potentially put us in a really bad position and it weakens our mind over time because we are failing to exercise that critical thinking part of our brain, the, the prefrontal cortex. So, you know, be skeptical, challenge authority, question everything. I think those are reasonable things that some people, for whatever reason, find to be unreasonable. But again, I'm not saying be a jerk. I'm just saying have a healthy sense of skepticism. True. And I think it has something to do with responsibility. Because if I let other people think for me, I mean, like, I do believe that I'm here for a reason and it's not to let other people think for me. I do not believe that. Um, I love that you say outsource thinking. That is super cool. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that. Yeah, I think um, if you stop co-parenting with the state and you need to educate your child, because I think children like rest my kid he has so many questions and then he's like oh i heard the earth is flat next day the earth uh, might be an apple a hologram it's not existing at all and it's all in our heads it's the matrix whatever so sometimes um i don't have the answer mm. and that's okay for me because uh, i don't have it it's not because i'm stupid it's just because i just don't know and maybe we will never know and um, but Yeah, you've been falling into a lot of rabbit holes. When do you have the feeling like, okay, I found maybe a spark of the truth? Because sometimes topics are so complex that it's, at least for me, quite hard to take everything into consideration and to form a holistic approach to, let's say, what shape has this planet? Is it even a planet? Like, <laughs> this is never ending for me. I need to build a spaceship and to watch and or to go to Antarctica but I can't do it because I it's very cold I don't have these resources to do it so sometimes I I fall into rabbit holes and I see no end because I don't feel the point of okay I found the truth and sometimes maybe there is no truth and how are you approaching different topics when in research what a great question <laughs> I guess I do think there are some things that just aren't worth thinking about. And I hesitate to even say that because I don't want to sound like I'm discouraging thinking at all. Thinking is obviously a great thing to do. So there's probably a few things that stand out to me. One of them is to be pragmatic and practical and really not waste my time thinking about things that I don't have control over or things that even if I found the answer it wouldn't really matter too much anyway. Uh, I do think that, and this is a little conspiratorial, but I do think ideas are placed in our environment to sort of get people to just argue and waste their time about things that aren't very productive. I do think a lot of that happens. So I, I try to be selective about what I'm even thinking about. Other than that, I do I have a master of science degree. I've done cognitive psychology research. So I do come from a place of a scientific mentality. And I'm grateful for that because it's really helped me understand how to think about certain things. And so science, not to overuse this word, but it comes from a place of skepticism, right? You have your hypothesis that is educated and informed. You have an idea of how the experiment might go. But really, you're seeking out to disprove your hypothesis. You're not seeking to prove it. You're seeking to disprove it. So when you 
do your research, you do your experimentation. When you fail to disprove something, you've created a high probability that your hypothesis is true. So I guess that's a jargony way of saying that um, when you have an idea, don't go trying to confirm it. There's this idea of confirmation bias. Because uh, you, I mean, with the state of information right now, you'll probably find that what you think is true. And here's an example. Let's say you're wondering about coffee and you think coffee is really good for you. You go on Google, is, is coffee good for you? You'll find plenty of articles saying coffee is good for you. And maybe that's true. But if you started from a place of, is coffee bad for you? You'd also find plenty of articles saying coffee is bad for you. So it really does take a, a level of discernment and scrutiny and trying to disprove whatever it is you believe. And uh, what else? Even further, arguments. All science comes down to an argument. I think a lot of people don't realize that. They think because something is in a scientific paper that it's basically complete fact. When the reality is that science is a process. So you have your hypothesis, you have your materials, you have your process, you have whatever data analytics you ran your data through. And that's all objective. But then at the very end, all science comes down to the conclusion or the argument, really. We found X, Y, and Z, therefore, this is what we think about it. And that's, that's pretty much how all science goes. And so my point here is that I think people should really understand arguments and how they're constructed. Because a lot of the things in our environment comes down to arguments from the political propaganda, to the marketing and advertising, to the scientific research papers. It all comes down to an argument. And really, critical thinking, to a large extent, is just arguing with yourself in your head, is starting from one place and going, well, if that's true, how do I extrapolate? What are the implications of that? What if it's not true? And, and you just constantly create arguments in your head until you get to a place where you just have no more questions and you can't argue anymore. And once you get to that point, there's a high probability that what you found is true if you've done it correctly. Uh, so how do I find the truth? I, I'm skeptical, I'm thorough, I'm pragmatic, and uh, coming from a place of trying to understand what argument is really being presented. Nice. Thank you so much. I love that. What is your opinion about a compulsory schooling? I mean, we all, most of us went through it. So I think most of us would say, yeah, I hated it, but I'm going to send my kids. <laughs> so. Hmm. Huh. I don't know. I, I've never really thought much about compulsory schooling, if I'm being honest. But let's see, if I think about it now, I think in some ways it does make sense, right? I, I do think there are probably some good aspects to it. But I also think, like most things in life, there are probably some bad things to it as well. I do think that it's worthy of, of scrutiny because, I mean, the whole society pretty much is just plugged into this system. So I, I guess there's a lot to unpack here because I don't think inherently compulsory schooling is always a bad thing. I do think it just creates an environment where it's uh, more likely to be a bad thing. And especially when you see it in practice, in at least here in the States, 
I don't think it's some sort of uh, magical, it, it's not the best thing in the world, right? I, I do think there are probably better approaches when we really think about it. I guess the real problem is that we don't really think about it. It's sort of just there. We kind of accept it. We don't put much thought into it. When if we were, if we were to actually say, look, there's a lot broken about the system. Uh, there's Kids are performing worse and worse. Uh, look around at the evidence. Look at society. Where are all the intellectuals? Where are all these critical thinkers? So there's definitely some evidence to suggest that the school system is not as effective as maybe our politicians would present it to be. And that's a problem. And I don't know the answer to that, really. I mean, it, it comes down to critical thinking and and instilling that in our children. But I don't know on a scalable, uh, broad level how we fix that. I think it really comes down to the individual. I think the individuals have to value the learning, the knowledge, uh, the, the skepticism and challenging authority that I keep talking about. I think that has to come from the individual, the parents, and then they instill those values in their children. Uh, as far as I can tell, I, I don't think there's some kind of blanket solution that can just perfectly fit into society that will work for everybody. True. Nice. And I have another question. How would you teach your kids not to fall in that propaganda trap? Because um, we live on a very small island. There is not a lot of, of advertisement on the streets or we don't have no TV. So for me, it's, it's easy. So I'm just not going to show him this kind of shit. And then we have to, we have been to Germany the last two weeks and we always have this sign. Like if we see propaganda, we look at each other like that, like wide eyes to let each other know, I got it. It's propaganda. You got it. It's propaganda. We both got it that we both got it. So I can be sure that he's not like consuming shit. Uh, but this time it was impossible because it was everywhere and mm. like the whole day 24 seven. And it was not even, uh, this, this, yeah, you see something here and there. It was like everywhere and it was crazy. It was almost impossible to, to, uh, yeah, talk about it because it was everything. So I realized it's okay that it's there because my son is smart enough to see it. And if he's not sure about something, he's asking me the right questions. And so I know for, for sure he's bulletproof. Why? I don't know. Maybe just because I'm always ranting about these kind of things. And he's like, okay, that's interesting. She's going to say something funny about that. or I don't know. So what would you do? How would you educate kids to not fall into that trap? Because I think it's, it's like candy. Yeah, propaganda is tricky because it's not exactly labeled. Right. It's not going to be recognizable where it says this is propaganda. It's just not how it works. I think I would probably start by teaching them what propaganda is. So there's two factors here, right? There's the internal and the external. There's what's going on in the head and then there's what's going on in the environment. So both of those would have to be addressed as best as I could. So let's start with the external. Let's start with the propaganda. Propaganda, I know today, most people know propaganda to mean manipulative, nefarious information. Historically, that hasn't always been true. So propaganda has meant in the past simply the propagation of information in a coordinated fashion to influence 
selected groups or populations, right? You see the same tactics you see in political propaganda, you see in sports, you see it in religions, you see it in many different aspects in society, some good and some bad. So I would start by teaching exactly what propaganda is. That would be the external level because propaganda is always going to be there, right? Especially when you look at that definition I just gave you, the marketers are doing that. There's always going to be groups or institutions trying to propagate their agendas. And you look at a place like the World Health Organization, right? By definition, this is a propaganda institution. They have their agenda, they have information, they, they perpetrate their information in a way that affects the way a lot of people think. Now, sometimes that can be a great thing, right? They've done some breast cancer awareness campaigns to, to call attention to that, and, and you know that's good. You also have financial conflicts of interest that cause them to say certain things about the vaccines that maybe wasn't coming from a place of truth. Right. So they used the neutral tool of propaganda to put out possibly some bad messages there. Right. These are complex things that people have to really put thought into, because like I said, it's not going to be labeled and good and bad are very debatable, especially in today's controversial, contentious world. Um, so as as a dad, I'm not a dad now, but if if I have kids and I'm trying to teach these things, I would instill my values instead of the values of the state. Uh, I would instill my values and, and teach them how to look out for these things, which brings me to part two, the next factor here, which is internal. And a lot of this I said already, so I'll try not to be redundant, but it all comes back to, okay, I understand how propaganda works. Now, where is it? Like, where's the propaganda in my environment? What am I already being affected by? Are my thoughts my own, right? Most people take that for granted. They kind of just think whatever is in their head is the result of their own thinking. That's not always the case, right? People change their mind. People learn new things. People are constantly inviting influential messages into their lives every time they turn on the TV or they're flipping through their phone. And it's almost, when you really think about it, it's almost silly to think that all the ideas in your head are just completely the result of your own critical thinking. It's just not how it works, especially when you realize that a large majority of our behavior is done kind of automatically. That's a fact. And, and I can prove that, right? If, let's say you're backing out of your driveway, you get in your car, you're not thinking to yourself, okay, open the car door. Now sit in the car, turn the car on. Now put the car in reverse, right? Those are all conscious thoughts. Nobody's thinking those conscious thoughts unless you're first learning how to drive, but uh, nobody's thinking those thoughts when they're driving. Those are all done automatically on a type of autopilot. So we need to realize how much, we need to have that sense of awareness. So we realize how much we are being driven by these unconscious behaviors. Because a lot of people realize that a lot of these businesses and institutions trying to influence us to behave in certain ways are taking advantage of the fact that a significant portion of our behavior is driven unconsciously. And so, you know, as far as the mental side of spotting propaganda goes, we need to be as mindful as we can and recognize that we do have this capacity to be driven by unconscious motivations. Um, and at the very least, we can have our defenses up accordingly. Nice. True. I like that a lot because I think this is uh, how it's working. If you're uh, 
educating your kids. It's not only about showing what is happening externally, but also internally. Maybe this is, yeah. And with a lot of humor, I think laughing about propaganda is is quite healthy because sometimes it's so depressing to see what is is all fake out there. And then to just make it a fun thing, at least for my son, was quite uh, helpful because it was not like, oh my God, they're lying to us. It's like, <laughs> look at that. Look at how they're trying to lie to us. So that was... <laughs> That's great. That thing. Yeah, true. Yeah. And it, uh, I think it's it's um, it's a good point to start being creative yourself because you need to look out for the creativity of other people like presenting ideas. And yeah, there's always something to learn. So we are almost at the end of this episode, but I want to know something else from you. Um, because normally I use the term orange pilling. It refers to Bitcoin, of course. And I saw that you are using the term red pilling and I love it. So when, if somebody wants to start being red pilled and going that way of, of seeking the truth, researching their own brain and these kind of things, what is something maybe even unusual or I don't know. Yeah. Unusual. How could people start doing that? Is there something that pops up in your mind? Like, yeah, this is the starting point. Do it right now. As far as uh, pursuing red pills is what you're asking. Yeah. It's tough because I feel, so I'll answer it this way. Of course, as a board certified health coach, what I do is very individual to whoever I'm working with. There's no cookie cutter program. And, you know, my my business is Red Pill Health and Wellness and and that's my health coaching business. So, when I talk about red pilling and waking people up, I do mean a few different things when I say that. So, first, I do mean waking up to your full consciousness as much as is reasonable. And that goes back to what I just said, how a lot of our behavior is driven by unconscious motivations. So by realizing that fact, we can start to wake up a sleepy part of our brain. That's huge. That, that's a very powerful thing. And that's probably the best place to start when somebody's venturing into new truths that were previously not realized in, in whatever reality they were living in, when you start to experience these red pills, uh, it does kind of reveal a new reality. Uh, and that's that goes back to the movie, The Matrix, which to be honest, I, I almost hate the movie because that the word The Matrix uh, has been so watered down. You know, The Matrix is a real word. A matrix is sort of a constructed environment. You see matrixes all over the place. There's plenty of them. And unfortunately, because of the movie now, when people hear that word, some people just tune out. Um, but so waking up to the, uh, the full consciousness in our heads as much as we can is a good place to start. But I also mentioned as a health coach, I take an individual approach. So when it comes to helping people find certain realities or truths or red pilling, it really depends on where the individual is at. So for me, this is true whether we're talking about health or whether we're talking about their business or whether we're talking about, you know, waking up to some kind of reality in our culture or society. Meet them where they're at. 
Because I mean, I, I might have a dozen different things about the reality of the world that I want to tell somebody, but if they're still pretty asleep, that might actually have a counterproductive effect. They might think that I'm a total lunatic and they might not listen to any of these ideas anymore. So I do think there is a a balance between science and art to this sort of thing where you have to approach it very carefully and individually, which is also why I think it's important to not be mean, as I said before, because if we're trying to wake people up, we, we have to think strategically about that. And I do see a lot of people in this space who feel like, yeah, I, I really get the truth. Yeah, I'm red-pilled. Yeah, I want to wake people up. And then they, like I said, then they are mean to some of these people. And, and I don't think they realize sometimes the power of their efforts, even just, even if you're not trying to wake somebody up, you know, if I have somebody who, let's say they're totally asleep and they know me, they know my business is red pill health and wellness. They know the sorts of things that I talk about. Even if I'm not trying to wake them up in any way and I just be nice to them, you'd be surprised how powerful of an effect, you know, for all I know, maybe they're going home that night and they're going, you know what? I used to think this guy was crazy and I talked to him. He was just totally normal. Sometimes waking people up is just being a nice person. True. So I, I do think there's a lot of approaches to waking people up. And I do think it, it should be a kind of decentralized process. I mean, if, if we're all saying the same thing, it's not going to have an, an impact. And, and, you know, not all of us get it right either. I, I think there is a beauty in a lot of these different awake people saying similar kinds of things from different angles because it reaches different people differently. So I, I have my own approach. I do it through health coaching and, and I figure out where they're at, where they're trying to get to and how we're going to get there. Uh, but you know, my approach might be totally different from an approach that you might take. And so I think as long as we understand a lot of these things to take the compassionate approach and, and what our mission really is that we're trying to wake people up and why we're trying to wake people up too. I think as long as we come from a good place, I think we'll be all right. Nice. Thank you so much. Uh, but now I <laughs> I can't let you go because now I have another question. Sure, um, bring it on. I will bring it on. Yeah, uh, raising consciousness. Sometimes I have the feeling that while I'm, my consciousness is evolving, I consider myself crazy. And after a couple of days when everything is set, I'm like, no, 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 I'm not crazy. This is just part of the process. And this is uh, maybe not my usual business to think or to act like. And this is why I thought I'm crazy. And I never try to wake people up or raise their consciousness or something like this, because I think everyone is on their own path. And if they want some kind of information, they're going to ask because they're going to feel who is the the best uh, person to approach for these kind of things. Um, but I think when it comes to propaganda and programming, I'm sorry to go back to that ugly topic. I think it's the opposite of raising your consciousness. It's oppressing this. And I think coming out of this is quite hard. And if someone is feeling like, okay, I would love to lift that heaviness and maybe it's even like already feeling like, okay, this direction might be useful, helpful for me. How can someone raise their consciousness or what is the initial thing? I mean, so many people told me, yeah, you just need to meditate. I was so stupid. I wasn't even able to meditate because there were like 200 voices in my head. So uh, I know there is not a go-to thing for all of us, but maybe there's one beautiful thing uh, you, can, you can share. 
Sure. How can you raise your consciousness? Well, there are a lot of approaches, but it all, I think, comes down to do difficult things, whether we're talking about exercise or meditation. So here's one of the interesting things about meditation is you would think maybe for a second you would hear meditation. You're kind of just sitting there either focusing on your breath or trying to think about nothing. On the surface, it sounds kind of easy to just do nothing. But many people, like you just said, find it difficult because we sit down and even after a few seconds, we're thinking about what we want to eat for lunch and we're fighting inclinations to go check our phones for notifications or see how long we've been meditating for. It's very uncomfortable when you really try to sit and do nothing because most of us don't ever really sit and do nothing. And when you think of it that way, it's a type of exercise. Just like pushing your way through a set of heavy squats with meditation, you have to push your way through the discomfort of boredom. And it is something that does get easier over time. It's something that has neurological changes to the brain. It can be very powerful in many different ways. It can allow us to be more mindful in a way that would make it easier to resist some propaganda just because we would be more mindful and we can notice things that we might not have otherwise. But even other than, and I could go on and on about meditation, but even other than meditation, you have something like exercise, right? Exercise has a pharmacological-like effect in many different ways in the body and the brain is also part of that. It's really the nervous system. So some people think that when you're exercising, you're building up your muscles. That's almost negligible to the reality that you're building up your nervous system. And so that's really a, another physiological approach to strengthening parts of your body that correlate with the mind, right? Because the nervous system is different from the mind. But by strengthening your nervous system, there's a, it at least can't hurt. But other than that, you know, do more difficult things. If, if there's something you find yourself resistant to thinking about, well, that's kind of a red flag. Why are you resistant to thinking about that? What's really going on there? What if you did think about it? What might you find? And it, it comes down to like asking a lot of questions, really. Uh, and for some people asking questions, they might be scared of the answers they'll find. That can be a very difficult or painful process. But again, do difficult things. Nothing really good comes out of doing the easiest thing all the time. You're not going to stumble into the truth. You have to look for it. It's not going to fall into your lap. The truth will not fall into your lap. So you need to make an effort to, you need to care enough really to look for the truth. And then you need to make an effort to go find it. And yeah, I think that's probably it. That's awesome. Thank you so, so much. I learned a ton and I hope all the unschooling families or almost unschooling families as well, because what you said about exercise, boredom and these kind of things that goes for kids as well, because uh, I can, uh, I talk from a point of experience, let them be bored, let them be exhausted at the end of the day, let them run, climb, do whatever. And they will be so much better in learning the stupid maths or whatever they need to learn. It's, it will be so much easier. And in the end, a school day of eight hours or what will fit into one hour. 
So true. Thank you so, so, so much. Yeah. And if I could just add on to that real quick, you know, easier said than done, right? I, I realize that uh, we live in, in a society where there's nothing but comfort around us. At any given time, we can see what our friends are doing on Facebook. We can order something we don't need on Amazon. We can watch a show that doesn't add anything to our lives. All of these things can be very comfortable. We can order food that's no good for us, but tastes really good. Our society makes it very easy to make bad decisions. And the more we do that, the more comfortable we can become. And we are adaptable creatures. We can become very uncomfortable in discomfort, right? So we might never exercise. We might eat the worst foods and, and we might, I might get to a point where I weigh 500 pounds. That's pretty uncomfortable to be 500 pounds. But you know what else is uncomfortable? Doing the exercise, choosing to eat the right foods. You're going to be uncomfortable either way. So what kind of discomfort do you want in your life? Do you want to be 500 pounds with no ambitions and, and unhealthy, ready to have a heart attack at any moment? And I'm not trying to be mean or, or cold in saying that. That's a reality for many people. Or would you rather be uncomfortable in a way where you choose to exercise, you choose to eat the right things, even if you don't really enjoy eating that salad? And then what are the results of doing those uncomfortable things? You, can't, you improve your health, you improve your mentality, you improve most likely your social circle if you're making healthier decisions because you tend to be around the people who are like you. And if you're doing those sorts of things, well, you're going to tend to be around more healthy people. So choose your discomfort. Do you want to be unhealthy? Do you want to be healthy? Do you want to be uh, immersed in lies or do you want to be immersed in the truth? And it starts from a place of critical thinking. True. Sure. I forgot who said it, but I've been reading a very uh, a book by a smart person, some guru, and he's super famous. I just forgot his name. It's always the same with me, but he said life is a constant work and constant suffering. So we can choose what we suffer from and what we work on from uh, on in in this life. So that's that's nice. We have a little bit of free will and we can use that. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for being on my show. I enjoyed our conversation very much. Thank you so, so much. Me too. I enjoyed this a lot. Thank you, Alex. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. Nice. Yeah, <laughs>